Friends, we're going to open to 1 Samuel in chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 12. The reason I want to do this this morning is it's been a while. It's been pre-pandemic since we had a dedication in the church and there are many new faces amongst us. Uh, and I thought it would be good for us this morning to, to set out what we've just done, what it means, but also wider than that, what it means for us to dedicate children to God, both in this formal setting, but also in the day-to-day lives of parents, but also as church members. So we're going to pick up from verse, we're going to start at verse 12 from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it reads, uh, referring to Hannah, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grants your petition that you you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his words. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as long as you live, my Lord, eh, as long as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We ask, Lord, that you would use it to shape our understanding of what it means to dedicate children to you. Uh, We ask, Lord, we thank you that your word is all-powerful, that throughout the centuries it has continued to move and transform hearts. And Lord, we commit it, we commit our time into your hands, trusting that you will do the same amongst us this morning. Amen. 
There's three things happening this morning um, that I think I put on a slide. A dedication involves three things. This is what we've seen. It involves, first and foremost, parents dedicating themselves to God. And it involves, in turn, as a response to that dedication of themselves to God, a dedication of a child to the Lord. And then what we see in the response from you is you devoting yourselves to pray for and support a family. Do you know, that there's several instances in the Bible where a miraculous birth under miraculous circumstances has brought around this a new movement of God. And of course, the most miraculous of the Old Testament would be the birth of Isaac uh, to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And of course, the most miraculous birth of all time that in just five weeks we will be on the build-up to is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. We come to a different story here, though. And I just want to say, Hannah is a hero. Hannah is fantastic. But she didn't slay a giant or conquer a nation or hurdle a wall. But her role in the biblical narrative is pretty simple. Her role is to remain faithful to God and to give birth. But the obstacles that she came, overcame on the way makes her a real hero. And I want to think for a couple of moments about some of these challenges that she faced, some of the challenges we face, and what it means to still affirm Christ as king in light of that. Firstly, I want to say a sentence I don't think I'd ever say. I went to a gymnastics gym yesterday. Now, it's, this isn't me trying to take up some new hobby, don't worry. Uh, I took Benjamin with me, um, and Victoria too. Um, and he was, they kind of have this free play where they jump about and have lots of fun and everything else. And there's a little balance beam that sits like half a foot off the ground. And he would go on, and the first time he'd take one step, looking about, no arms raised, slip and fall. And you're like, oh, well, good job, son. And then he'd just get back up, and he'd run back to the front, and he'd start again. And this time, still not much care in the world, maybe made it two steps, and down he slipped. And then by the end of it, we'd taken hands and gone over a couple of times. And then by the end, the hands start coming out to steady, and he slowly walks. He's probably got a better balance than me, but slowly but surely made his way along that beam. And for me, that summed up a little bit of the challenges that Hannah faced, that she persevered, that she got up and she went again, just like little Benji did yesterday on that bar. She faces three challenges that are rather ordinary and probably pretty relatable for us, but they show her life to be a difficult one. Firstly, she's the, one of two wives to Elkanah. Now, this is polygamy, and for you guys that think that's a wonderful idea, every time we see polygamy in the Bible, it is not happy families. It is not a happy home. It is not the way God intended it. God's plan for the, for the family is for one man and one woman together for life. So already we have this difficult setting. If we read from verse 1 of this, we'd have been introduced to the second wife, Penina. She was very fertile. She had lots of children, left, right, and center. All the children she could want, she had. And while she was a very fertile woman, she was also a pretty wicked woman because she would taunt Hannah. Verse 6, she would provoke her grievously, would irritate her. She was constantly on the wind-up. She would torment her because she couldn't conceive. And already, I think we see the anguish and the challenge that Hannah is under on a day-to-day -day basis in her own home. 
I think secondly, if we go back to just before our reading in verse 7, her husband didn't get it. He didn't understand the pain. She was constantly being wound up by Penina, and her husband just really didn't get it. Hannah was in tears constantly. Her husband seems to be a kind man and a good man. We see that in our verses. But I think he was just a bit obsolete, a bit emotionally disengaged. And I wonder how many wives relate to that. Husbands step up and relate well to the challenges that your wives face. But he offers just cold comfort. He has no comfort at all. He isn't the loving arm to her. So she, she's struggling with, with this constant torment. She's struggling with this feeling of rejection from her husband. And the third thing we see is that she worships constantly, but out of deep distress. Verse 10 of chapter 1, she weeps bitterly. This is really hard for her. These challenges that she faces are really, really difficult. Eli the priest, the, the words we open with in verse 12 there, accused her of being drunk because she was opening her mouth but praying in her heart and he just assumed she was drunk. Instead of even he, the priest, offering her some kind of comfort, he too rebukes her. At every level here, Hannah is suffering. And I think this sets a little picture for us to the context today of the world in which we live. There are challenges. There are challenges in every single family. I need not remind you of that. Whether they be relational challenges, whatever they might be, there are challenges in families today. There are many obstacles. There is much sin. There is many trials. And this is the world, this is the world that that children are born into. But what I want to look at and focus on is the response of Hannah and her husband to come to those challenges of life. So I want to start then by looking at Hannah for a couple of moments. What we see of this woman and what we've just read this morning is a woman that is completely faithful, completely dedicated, and perseveres for God. She prays, she goes to worship, she cries out to God. Now, this isn't just routine. This isn't a woman that's just doing things for the sake of it. There is a genuineness here. She is genuinely seeking God on all these things. And she found favor in the eyes of God. Eli pronounced blessing upon her. She, she conceived and she had a son named Samuel who would go on to become the first of the prophets. Um, well, the first of the newer prophets. And she would... Uh, and he would be a great blessing to many. And I wonder, as we come to the things that we face in life that hurt us, the things we face in life that are difficult, I think we have a choice. And I wonder if we'll remember Hannah, if we'll remember a woman full of angst and difficulty, yet walking faithfully, with her God. I think her example is powerful to us because Hannah is utterly dedicated and committed to God. But you see, Hannah foreshadows another mother and Samuel foreshadows, that means it is like a biblical image going beforehand of that mother Mary and that baby Jesus. Hannah is that persevering mother like Mary was. 
that son would go on to do amazing things like the son of Mary would. You see, Samuel overcame many things, and so did Jesus. Jesus overcame a family that didn't understand him. He had a a group of friends, a group of disciples that really missed what he was trying to say to them at every turn. He had an enemy that craved his undoing everywhere that he went. But despite this, the Lord Jesus would carry out his plans and his purposes and go to the cross. You see, I'm reminded as we come to these words that the daily grace of God is enough to meet our daily struggles. Actually, it's far more than enough. It is completely and utterly sufficient. And the grace of God, I think, makes heroes out of the most unsuspecting and normal of God's people. I think this is a wonderful story of a woman that says, my child is God. I love God. Lord, here is my child. Have my child in your service. And in giving Samuel to God and ultimately to the land of Israel, God was remembering his promises. Again, we see God's faithfulness here. Because time and time again, we we read that God will not forget his people. He will not forsake his people. By giving Samuel to Israel, the Lord persevered with his people. For Samuel would be a godly leader. He would help institute the king Saul and David at the very beginning of the kings of Israel. So we have then this first part of this picture today. Christian parents standing here pledging themselves to Christ. Despite whatever else there is in life. Ryan and Naomi stand here and confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only by that faith that their daughter is dedicated to the Lord today. The dedication of a child to the Lord starts with the dedication of the parents to God. The second thing I want to think about here is the devotion to the ways of God and the things of God. And we see that from this mother that doesn't go to the temple, from this mother, eh, to the tabernacle, sorry, for this mother that stays at home to look after the child. We we read, but Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Her husband went to worship. She didn't. She stayed at home with young Samuel. As soon as Samuel was ready, she would take him to the presence of the Lord and there he would dwell forever. And I think this word appear means much more than just to to turn up. It means to formally present. And that's really what was being done here, is this child was being formally presented to God. Hannah's plan was that the first time that she took him to Shiloh, to that tabernacle, that when he was old enough, he could be presented to God and literally leave him there for the service of God. How old would he have been? Well, Jewish women could breastfeed until they were three or four, so he may well have been at that sort of age. But what's interesting is during those early years, it was, the, it was the job of a mother not just to physically nourish a child, but it was also the responsibility of the mother to spiritually nourish her child. It was the mother's job to pour into her child the word of God. 
And his children grew, his fathers were involved in the teaching of the, the word of God to their children. In these earliest years, the mother has an utterly critical part to play in forming the spiritual foundation and character of a child's life. If Hannah was going to bring Samuel to the tabernacle, leave him there for advanced biblical education, she knew it was her role to give young Samuel a basic education in the ways of God. And she did that until he was old enough. You see, she desperately wanted to be a mother. And when God gave her Samuel, she poured out all of her mothering onto him. Mothers, you are incredibly important. You are awesome. You play an incredibly powerful and formative role in the life of your child. When you teach them Bible stories and you think they're too young to learn, they are not. They are listening. Pray over them. Pray intently for them and with them. And I think it is something for us as a wider church. Be faithful in your prayer for families. We have no idea what goes on behind closed doors of families, the challenges and the struggles that they face in this day-to-day life. Church, be faithful in your prayer for our children. I think this shows us as well that women have an incredibly important part to play, not just within the family unit, but within spiritual formation in general. There is a role to play in the home. There is a role to play as believers and lovers of Jesus in our workplaces. There is a place for you in church. But do not leave the education of your children to school. Don't leave it, especially to Coco Melon, because it's the worst program ever. But don't leave it. Don't leave it to these things. Educate your child in the ways of God, because yes, the church can play a part in that, but an hour a week is not enough for spiritual formation. Educate your children, love them, bring them up in the ways of the Lord. We see now Elkanah enter the picture, this this husband that is totally supportive of his wife, that is totally encouraging of her spiritual commitments and her abilities. Uh, He says in verse 23, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Uh, Only may the Lord establish his word. He understands his wife's desire. He understands her motivation to fulfill her vows to God. And of course, under the law, her, her, her promise to God to give her son in, in this lifelong service of God was only really validated when her husband affirmed it. And he did. He didn't undermine it, but he totally supported his wife in this. What else we see? We see that this is a home in which there is spiritual unity. This is two parents that love God, that are following God. Not only was Hannah a godly woman, but Elkanah was a godly man who supported his wife. Of course, this boy had two parents. This is the ideal of a family, but friends, we know that is not always the case. Having grown up for years in a single parent household, I know it's hard. I know it's incredibly hard for single mothers, for single fathers, for parents in houses where one believes and one doesn't. And friends, I pray for you. And I trust that you would know the Lord's sustenance and you would know the Lord's guiding as you seek to lead your children in the ways of the Lord because it is not easy. When things are broken and not the way God intended, it is very, very hard, but you can do it. Trust in the Lord above all else. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think to to families, I think it's a good application for, for wives and for husbands whether you have young children, older children, whether your child is eight months old or 38 years old or anywhere in between. 
Commit yourselves. Commit your children to the ways of the Lord. You see, Ryan and Naomi today in this act of dedication are committing to raising their daughter in the ways of the Lord. Why? Because they are the best ways. They are not the easiest ways. They are not our ways, but they are the right ways. We read, don't we, those famous verses in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I uh, command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, I asked you to commit to being godly examples, of course, to Elsie, but also to the children of our church because our children are watching. Our children are seeing who we are how we relate to one another. They see those phone calls that we, they hear those phone calls that we take with the door shut. We think nobody can hear us. They hear our, our disagreements. There is a way to disagree that honors God. There are ways to disagree that do not honor God. What do your children, your grandchildren, children that you love, your nieces, your nephews, whoever it is, what do they see of you? And also, I just want to look at Hannah's sacrifice to God. Hannah sacrificed to God. The family sacrificed to God because it was an overflow of their gratitude to God. Not just for giving them a son, but because of who he was, because of who God is and for what he has done. And she brings a massive sacrifice. Whether this is a three-year-old bull and it's three one-year-old bulls, we're not quite sure. It doesn't really matter, but it's a big expense. We've got 22 liters of flour pouring in here as a sacrifice to God. All that was asked for was three-tenths of that 22 liters, but they came and they brought it all, and they also brought this skin of wine. She went to the temple. She didn't take a cheap offering. She took an extremely expensive offering that probably would have hurt their pockets. Why did she bring so much? Because her priorities were right and because she loved God. There are many, many applications I could pull out of that. Friends, let us be joyful givers, whether we give of our time, our finances, whatever it might be. Friends, let us give to God what is his because it's all his anyway. The way we give of everything that we have will flow from the focus of our hearts. Is your heart focused on God? Well, look at what you give and you will have some sort of answer to that. The New Testament tells us that we give generously, joyfully, sacrificially as we are able. And this is what we see with Anna. She gave everything that she had to God, including her child. Hannah was able to give Samuel to the Lord because she knew it was the Lord who gave Samuel to her. So they sacrificed, they gave to the Lord. And she is committing her son to the work of the tabernacle. You wonder how Hannah could do this. What enables her to give her son wholeheartedly to the service of God. But I think she appreciated that this child ultimately is God's. 
And every good thing that she has is a gift from God. And when she understood that, it enabled her to give her child back to God. When we view everything that we have as coming from God, it makes us grateful people. It makes us joyful people. Because despite the things of life, we understand that that, that God is first, that, that Christ is king, that he loves us, that he cares for us. And I think they provide this model of Christian parenting for us. They put God first. God was at the center of their relationship And they did something incredible. You see, children would give you economic security. It was absolute madness that you would send off your child to the tabernacle when they are your pension. It doesn't make a massive amount of sense. But they did. I wonder, parents, what you would think if your child decided to go to a far-off land and say, go on. Not that that, of course, makes anybody more of a Christian. But I wonder, friends, what message we give our, our, our children. Do we teach them that the most important thing they do is follow Jesus? Or do we teach them that the most important thing they have is a good paying job and financial success? A job is good. It is good to have a career. It is good to support a family. But it is secondary to following Jesus well. The duty of a Christian parent is to raise children who are faithful and fruitful for Christ in their generation. That is more important than raising a child whose first priority is success in the eyes of the world. You see, Hannah poured the word of God into her boy. She loved him, she cared for him, she poured it out into him. Would we as a church do likewise for our children? I'm greatly thankful for the number of people who serve across this church, our children, who care for them, who love them, for everybody that brings them to this place. And you see, this boy Samuel would go on to be the last judge of Israel before they were led by kings. He would go, he would anoint Saul and David, the first of the kings. He is, after Moses, one of our first prophets, and Peter tells us in Acts 3, and he's also the chief priest in this tabernacle, this boy that was dedicated to the Lord went on to do incredible things for God. Parents that are faithful, obedient, dedicated to the word of God. It is of the utmost importance. We have no control over those things. We have no control over whose hearts will and won't respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our duty is faithfulness in the way we bring them up. That is what Ryan and Naomi are committing to today. To pour the word of God into the life of Elsie, to teach her the ways of God, to love her. Why? Because it is of vital, eternal importance. Let me finish here. Like Hannah would overcome many challenges in having this miraculous child, and then many more after Samuel, this mirrors this woman of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary too had a pretty rough time of it. But as Hannah would trust God, her son Samuel would go on to do amazing things. As Mary would trust God, oh, what Jesus would go on to do. You see, Jesus would live a life that was utterly sinless. He would face all of and more the trials, the torment, and the temptations that we do. But ultimately, he would go to a cross. Ultimately, his purpose was to die. But that would not be the end of the story. 
I wonder, friends, if this morning the weight of the world is upon your shoulders. I wonder if things are just too much for you and things are incredibly difficult. I wonder if you long for something that might release you from the torment and the struggles that you know in life. I wonder if you long to be set free from your sinfulness. Then I urge you to consider Jesus. Jesus invites you. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How does this happen? We read very clearly in Romans 5. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by the blood, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we need not face the things of this life alone. But we might do it with the Lord Jesus Christ. That once we were enemies of him. But now we might be reconciled to him. Hannah trusted in God. She devoted herself to him. She devoted her child to him. As Ryan and Naomi have committed themselves today to God and to the life of their daughter. Why have they done this? Because they love Jesus. And Jesus loves you too. Friends, if you'd like to know more about following Jesus, I'd love to speak to you after this service. Because you aren't expected to have it all together. You aren't expected to know everything. But you are invited to come and find your hope and security in God. So, I'll finish where I started. Parents, walk faithfully with your God. It goes for family. It goes for all the family. Primarily this passage talks of parents, but this goes for family. Family, find Jesus. Love Jesus. Know Jesus. Be faithful. Be godly examples. And then parents, give your children as an offering to God. Commit them to him. Pray for them. Do everything that you can to raise them in the ways of our God. Pray that one day they might come to know him. And thirdly, church family, devote yourself to praying for and supporting this family and all of our families. Be godly examples. Love them. Care for them. I am so proud to be part of a church that values children, that loves them, that has them seen, that champions them. I think it's wonderful. Of course, there is always more we can do. But let us be committed to seeing a generation of godly children raised up amongst us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the gift that children are to us. Lord, we commit all the children of this church into your hands. We ask, Lord, that you would guard them, that you would keep them, that you would enable and empower parents by your spirit to bring them up in your ways that we as a church family would be committed in prayer for our children, that we would love them, that we would care for them, and that they might grow up in the life of this church knowing that there is a place for them, that they are loved by us, but most importantly loved by you. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious and a good God. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and